Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Good afternoon, everyone. Praise God. It's good to see you. Um, We're going to get started. Yeah. You guys ready? Ready, Dan? Ready, Tim? Amen. So, welcome. We are kind of in the process of having a few different topical messages before we get into our next series. Um, The next couple of weeks, we're going to have two brothers from our fellowship who are going to be sharing. That's um, Richard Thomas and Mr. Andrew Carnegie going to be sharing sharing with us over the next couple of weeks. But... Oh, and next week, sorry, Pastor, he's going to be sharing next week, and then the successive weeks, we're going to have those two brothers sharing. Today, we're going to be looking at a topic in Luke chapter 11, and it's chapter 11, verse 1 to 13, and our topic, or our title for the message today is God, the ultimate father and friend. God, the ultimate father and friend. Now, Me and Pastor E, we're going to come to the text in a minute. Me and Pastor E, we did, we wrote a song about 17 years ago. And the song ties in nicely with our message today. Really, we should have done it for you still, but. um, (laughs) uh, You can't put, no, 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 no. It, It would be far from fair to put a brother on the spot like that. Furthermore, I don't, I don't, I'm. Forevermore, I don't even know if I got the backing track. Maybe Pastor E's got it. But anyway, another time. Maybe next week. <laughs> well, I'm going to give you a little bit of it anyways. And after hearing it, you might be like, ah, oh, we don't really need to hear the rest. Um, but the song is about prayer. It's called Pray. And the chorus goes, um, I don't know if you remember, that, like, we used to use like an old, um, is it Mace tune? And P. Diddy beat back in the day. You know, it was a long time ago before we had our own production. <laughs> You know what I mean? Back in the budget days. And if you like, the, the chorus, it's, 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 it, what, what, was this, what was the song? What was the song that he done it to? And the song goes, everybody knows that we need to pray. Everybody needs to pray. That was my part, the rap part. Plus the E was the singing part. Everybody knows you need to do it every day. We need to do it every day. And then I'd go, yo, what a privilege, what an opportunity to be able to converse with the king of the universe 24 hours a day, seven days a week because he don't slumber nor sleep. With boldness and reverence, I step to God's throne. Through Christ's righteousness, not my own, I make it known that I'm grateful. For his love and mercy is faithful. And through experiences, I can testify what he did. He gave me love like no one else did. And in his love and mercy, I'll live, I'll live. When I get down on my knees, I don't forget to always say please. Can he answer your prayers? Indeed. Indeed, sometimes with speed because he recognizes my need. Run out of breath. (sighs) Now you see why we don't do this anymore. But I hope you listen to the lyrics still. And the song, thank you, the song is about prayer. Prayer. So let's take the opportunity to do that, which is pray. 
Our Father, you who inhabit heaven, but are present here on earth by your spirit, hallowed or holy or set apart is your name because you are distinct, you're different from anything and anyone. Let your kingdom, your rule, your reign come. You take your place as king. Please give us each day our daily bread, our basic necessities, and forgive us of our lawlessness, our law-breaking, our shortcomings, our transgressions, our sins. And help us to forgive everyone who's failed against us, who's transgressed or sinned against us, or is indebted to us. And Lord, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Amen. Amen. Now, you may have noticed something missing from that prayer, right? I, I prayed according to the outline that's here in Luke, but um, how many of you know it's shorter compared to Matthew's version? And I'd like to argue that there's a point for that. I'd like to argue that Luke's emphasis isn't actually on the content of the prayer, but his emphasis is on the motivation for prayer. How many of us struggle to pray? And everybody knows that we need to pray. But how many of us struggle? I know I do. Let's read our text together. Luke chapter 11, verse 1 to 13. Now, <clears throat> Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. As John taught his disciples. And he said to them, okay, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Verse 5, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you for Everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Talk to God because he is the ultimate father and friend. Talk to God because he is the ultimate father and friend. Many of us, we struggle to talk to God 
And it's because we don't see him as the ultimate father or friend. My hope is that today, that our message will motivate us to talk to God. Now, how many of you have heard of Oliver Twist? Oliver Twist. Oliver Twist is, um, he's an, he's an orphan and he's abandoned and he's living a life of poverty and misfortune. He's malnourished and he's living in a workhouse. Now, in this particular scene in the film, or at least in this version of the film, Oliver, he draws the short straw to go and ask for what? Some more. Some more porridge or whatever that stuff that he was eating. And how many of you know, as he goes up, Mr. Bumble confronts him. And Mr. Bumble, he's cruel, he's pompous, and he's the overseer of the workhouse. And as you can see, poor Oliver goes up tentatively and he says, please, sir, can I have some more? And Mr. Bumble's like, what? <laughs> He's like, this, standing and trembling. Please, sir, can I have some more? And Mr. B- and as you know, Mr. Bumble, he responds by saying, more boy. <laughs> and Mr. Bumble as he says mob, he stamps his big staff, and I think the matron, as you can see, is kind of standing next to him. And poor Oliver, terrified, he drops his bowl and he, and he, runs, and he runs down the hallway of the, the, the dining hall, right? And it's a musical. So Mr. Bumble and the matron, who apparently is his wife, right, they say, catch him, snatch him, hold him, scold him, pounce him, trounce him, pick him up and bounce him. They sing, <laughs> right? It's all about the bars today. It's all about the lyrics today. And um, and Mr. Bumble, he's mean, he's angry, and he paints a bad picture of a surrogate father, of a, if you like, a substitute or a, a replacement father for Oliver. In the 2005 version of the film, a different one to this one, in the background in the dining hall, it's got written on the walls. I couldn't believe it when I was looking at, on, on, at a clip on YouTube. It said on the walls, it says, God is love. God is holy. God is truth. That's what it says on the wall. In the... And you think, God is love. And sometimes our picture of what God is like can can be somewhat confusing. And we see him like Mr. Bumble. How many of you know we tend often to believe that God doesn't want to answer our prayers? And we we come like Oliver, don't we? Trembling with our petition. And and like Oliver, we feel like we've drawn the, the short straw. We're like, oh my gosh, I've got to talk to God. I've got to pray. What am I going to say? See, I wonder if that's why you have a virtually non-existent prayer life. I wonder if that's why 
you may be possibly afraid to pray in public. I wonder if that's why you never attend a Tuesday night prayer meeting. And I wonder if that's going to prevent you from attending a monthly time of prayer during May because you don't know how to pray. And it's not so much you don't know how to pray, it's the one to whom you're praying is more possibly the issue. See, I wonder if your spiritual life and my spiritual life is so terribly underdeveloped because of this problem. And I hope that by the end of today's message, we will be more motivated to talk to God. Amen? Now, Luke often teaches good lessons from bad examples. Luke often teaches good lessons from bad examples. You might remember um, when Pastor E done Luke chapter 16 a few weeks ago, right? And he was talking about this unfaithful, off-key steward, yet a shrewd steward, right? And later on in Luke chapter 18, you've got the widow and who? Is there, is there, hello? Is there anybody out there? The, unju- the widow and the, thank you, the unjust judge. And again, it's another one of these, if you like, one of these bad examples to give, to teach us a, a, a good lesson. Today, we'll see another example of this from our text, um, particularly in a moment when we get to verse 5 through to verse 8. Now, just before we get there, listen to what leads up to that. Verse 1 of our text, if you just open your Bible, hopefully with me, you're there. Um, I don't know. Um, turn on your app or, I mean, go to your electronic version of the scroll of the manuscript. Look at verse 1, Luke chapter 11. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Beg you teach us how to pray. Just like John, that is John the Baptist, taught his disciples, Lord, teach us how to talk to God. Teach us how to talk to God in, in such a way that maybe, possibly, God may hear us. Because he definitely listens to you, Jesus. I mean, we can tell that by the way you live your life and by the, the, the things that you do. And he definitely listens to John. I mean, not only, not only does John speak to God, John speaks for God. John's a mighty prophet. And verse 2, and he, Jesus said to them, What? You want to learn how to pray? Banging his staff in the, in the dust. How dare you even contemplate approaching God. No, that's not what Jesus says in verse 2. Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father. This is one of those little big words. Notice that the prayer starts with who? It starts with God. The focus of any valid prayer must be on God's will and his desires. Not on our will, and our desires. It doesn't mean that we don't come with our list of needs and desires, but it doesn't start there. 
Prayer doesn't start with us, it starts with God. Conversation with God starts with God. And Jesus says, he says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. You see, the focus is on God. Life is all about, fundamentally, God, God's name, God's kingdom. Trust me, anything outside of who God is, the person of God and his kingdom, it's not really going to be worth much in time to come. No matter how much it glistens, no matter how much it costs, no matter how much worth people tend to put on it, it ain't going to have much worth in time to come. I mean, we know that anyway, because you buy a nice new car and five, ten years down the road, thing begins to rust. You have to change the tires. Two twos, you have to service it. Engines start to give trouble. The wonderful car that you had, I remember hearing Rick Godwin talk about it one time. He says, you get a car and you love the car so much and, you know, it's like no one can't touch the car and you get, no one can't scratch the car and no one can't eat in the car. The poor kids starve in your car. And then one day, some one of the kids leaves a box of crayons. Remember crayons? Them wax crayons in the back and it's summer. And two twos, you come back and there's a puddle on the back shelf. And I mean, if you know them wax crayon business, when they melt, you can't get them out. And all of a sudden, it's like, cha. That they all care. You don't have a business about the car anymore, right? Get a little scratch here, a little scratch there. I mean, you don't even need the Bible to tell you that everything is tending toward, is it the second law of thermodynamics? You know what I'm saying? Everything's tending toward decay. Life is fundamentally about God and his kingdom. But notice how Jesus does two things using this one word, Father. Jesus puts God in a prominent place, but then also lifts up the person who's praying. Lifting him up into an elevated position. Hey, Jesus actually very quickly brings the one who prays also into the picture. Wow, imagine humans have the opportunity to approach God as Father. Now, we're going to come back to this later. Father. Now, hopefully, immediately, that should be an encouragement to us with regards to prayer. Father. And it's a word that's learned very early, isn't it? Among the first words picked up by a child. Do you know what babies or little ones call their father in India? Baba. Close. In the United States, it's Papa or Pops, right? How about in Israel, in, in terms of Jews? What do Jews call Father? Abba. Abba. Father. And in the UK, Daddy or Dada. Dada. See, it's a term of endearment. And it's only the type of, I don't know what Linda's laughing for. It's, it's the type of term, it's a type of term that only a child can use who is related to that father. And I remember about, I, can, I, I know it's 13 years ago because my son is 18. And I've already got permission from him to use this as an example. We were at a New Year's Eve party. And um, for Jordan, and that's my son, and also for Joel, that's Pastor Patrick's son, it's always drama at Christmas. I say drama, it's not that bad. My son's birthday is New Year's Eve, and Joel's birthday is New Year's Day. 
And how many of you know, with Christmas being what it is, and New Year's being what it is, it's easy to overlook someone if their birthday is at that time, right? And um, like when it comes to presents, it always feels like he's like my son or like Joe is, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's not fair, is it? Because everyone's talking about Christmas and you get some presents and you kind of, it's, it's like you get all your presents at one in one week. It's like, and you have to wait a whole nother year. So on this particular New Year's Eve, and it wasn't actually midnight yet, so you won't say that I'm abusing my children, but it was like we were all having fellowship together. I'm talking about the fact that he was up late. He wasn't up late. He was, only, he was only five at the time, or it was coming up to his, it was his fifth birthday. So cut the long story short. I'm standing up filming, and it's funny because I found this footage. I said to Pastor Eve, Pastor Eve, I know you got one of them video eight, long time, old time camera. You know them big old heavy one that you need shoulder strap and all them something to carry with and the battery, them big like. And I knew he had one. Kian had one because she was a keen f- f- photographer, kind of video maker back in the day. So he looked for it. It must have took about a year or something. I was chasing him up and eventually I got the thing and it hooked it up and plugged in this video and, and video eight and wow, I couldn't believe my eyes. It was, like, it was like an hour and a half of footage of all of us, like us together, like, like, remember, like, like New Year's Eve. And like, imagine like, you're talking about 13 years, year 2000, 2001, whatever it was. And <clears throat> Jordan, we're, we're in this, we're, we're in someone's house and I've got the vid, I've got, I've, I've, I found a tape with this footage on it. But going back to the event itself, I've got a camera in my hand. I don't know whose camera or what, but I've got this camera, and I'm filming everyone. And as I'm filming everyone, I feel this tugging on my trousers, and I'm thinking, who's tugging on my trousers like that? And, and I can't really hear nothing because I'm concentrating. And two twos, it's my son Jordan tugging, dad, 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 daddy, 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 dad. And he won't stop tugging, and he won't stop pulling, and he won't stop calling me daddy, like pulling off my trousers. You don't believe me? Here's a picture. I'm not going to show you the whole video. <laughs> I got the camera in my hand, innit? So I put the camera down on him like, what? Like, like son, what? what? He's like, dad, daddy. Was it, was it, it wasn't Natalie. What was her name again? Yeah. What, what was it? I can't remember. The, but one of the girls there, she was, about, she was about three or four years older. She was, she was teasing him. And she, and she was saying, you're not five, you're four. And Jordan's like, no, I'm not four, I'm five. I'm, and, he, and this is why he calls me, dad, dad, tell her, tell her that I'm not four, tell her that I'm five, ain't it, dad? Tell her, ain't it? I'm five, ain't it, daddy? How many of you know, <clears throat> I mean, we say it all the time, David Cameron and Barack Obama their kids don't need an appointment to speak to their dad. Likewise, God's children have an open door policy with their father who just so happens to be God. So please, beg you, when you're in need, yeah, don't allow God to be your last resort. How are you going to have that kind of liberty with the God who created the universe? So now we're your pastors and we love you. But please don't come to us first. I mean, we're only going to point you to God anyway. You know what I mean? <laughs> we're only going to say, let's pray. 
Jesus says, he says, when you pray, not if you pray. Remember, he's speaking to his disciples and there is an expectation from him that disciples will talk to God. It's not a matter of if, but when. And what are some of the things we can legitimately pray for? Verse 3, Father, give us each, each day our daily bread. How often do you pray that God will provide food for you? Versus how often you eat. Hey, ouch. But he always provides, doesn't he? Even when we don't ask. Although we ought to ask. This reminds me of an occasion when I was living in Jamaica back in the 80s. And... um living with my grandfather in a place called Brownstown. It's on the north coast, St. Anne, near Discovery Bay. And I was probably about 18, 19, went to Jamaica in the, in the late 80s. And I was, I was sleeping this day. I was lying in my bed. It was about half past five, six o'clock in the morning. And all of a sudden, I just feel this nudging in my head. I'm in my bed, this nudging in my head. And I'm thinking, who's this nudging me in my head? I'm looking, what time is it? Who's this nudging me in my head? So I look up and it's my grandfather nudging me in my head, isn't it? And I'm like, Dada, because this is what I used to call him, Dada, it's, it's like 5.30 in the morning, Dada, why are you waking me up? And Dada's like, boy, you're not afraid of dead for hungry and I just sleep. <laughs> now let me, let me, let me um, translate that. <laughs> Dada, why are you waking me up, man? It's like half past five in the morning. He's like, Robert, aren't you afraid that you might die in your sleep for hunger? I'm like, what? (laughs) Basically, he was waking me up because he had already prepared breakfast and it was on the table. Now, here's me over here screwing. I'm making up noise on why you wake me up. How many of you can see my attitude? In the light of what he's done. Now, it's funny, isn't it, that he would wake me up and say such a thing. It's typical, like, West Indian, typical African, I suppose. The point is, my grandfather was always providing us with food, whether we asked for it or not. God, in his grace, always prepares food for us, even when we don't ask for it. And what is our attitude? Is it one of gratitude? We need to talk to God about food, but also about other basic necessities. And talking isn't always asking. It can be thanking, can't it? Thank you, granddad, for making me breakfast. And boy, back in them days, it was and salt fish and yam and green banana and roast breadfruit oh my gosh i nearly put it up on instagram last week easter we had roast breadfruit i fried it right on the oven on the live flame oh my and and when my granddad used to make it he used to make it with with chocolate chocolate tea that's what they used to call it because it was it was it was the real chocolate made from the cocoa the cocoa beans and he used to grate them and boil it with little condensed milk. Are you mad? <laughs> Listen. Thank you, granddad, 
for making me breakfast. Thank you, Lord, for providing for me. I mean, can't, can't you pray that? Now, that's food. Okay, how about another basic need, another F? Forgiveness. Verse 4. And forgive us our sins. Now, how often do you pray for forgiveness for your sins? Well, I got saved 10 years ago. I, I prayed for my sins back then. It either talks about the fact that you, you don't sin no more, or maybe the fact that you don't realize that you sin. Um, forgiveness. It's one of the things that Jesus encourages us to pray and juxtaposed to food. I wonder if it's something that we probably need to be thinking about every day. Jesus encourages us to pray and it comes with a condition, doesn't it? <clears throat> and forgive us our sins, Father, as for, for, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Seems like a standard, like it's, like it's like saying, Lord, I'm asking you for, for, for forgiveness because I forgive anyone who sins against me. Can we say that? Oh, good reason to think about prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15 says, Jesus speaking, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, but if, you, if you do not forgive others their trespasses neither will your father forgive your trespasses jesus instructs us to pray to pray for food to pray for forgiveness and also what i would loosely term a force field pray for a force field he says lead us not into temptation now i said loosely right the illustration if you like is you know, from science fiction, in these films like Star Trek or these cartoons, right? What you have is, all right, you lot are all looking at the screen, innit? In these films, as I was saying, like Star Trek, for those of you that weren't listening, you get these, I don't know, the Klingons are about to, about to invade. And the Earthling says, attacking i'll just put up my intergalactic gamma radiation force field right and that's to protect them from the enemy right coming in now you can look at the screen force field force field in fiction is a barrier made up of energy or particles to protect a person an area or object from attacks or intrusions or as a means of containment or confinement if you like, as a shield from damage by natural forces or enemy attack. How many of you know that we are susceptible to crossing boundaries that we ought not to? The Bible calls it trespassing. Like, don't walk on the grass, don't breach the fence, no trespassing. That's me going over a line that I ought not to, right? The Bible also defines that synonymously with sin. It means that God says, don't do this, and I say, I'm going to do it anyway. Right, that's a sin. Um, and I suppose I'm arguing that this is encouraging us to pray that God will help us not to cross that, ba- that boundary. Like, I want to put my foot over there and I can't put my foot, my foot over there. Because there's something preventing, something hindering, something stopping me. And it's like David saying, Lord, 
keep me, hold me back, put measures in place that will prevent me from presumptuous sin. In Psalm 19, verse 13, David says, he says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin. Keep back your servant. Let them not have dominion over me. Sin, right? Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. How many of you know? Can you see that David needs help there to prevent him from doing something? I'm talking about. I'm talking about a, a force field that is provided by God that helps us not cross those boundaries. And if you don't believe that that can happen, listen to Genesis chapter 20. You remember Abraham and Abimelech? I, I, I realize nowadays, I, t- I tell long stories, so it's best I just read it. G- Genesis 20 verse, are you laughing at me, Kate? Genesis 20 verse two, we're in the same community group. And so I know what she means by that. Thank you, my sister. I need it. Thank you. Genesis 20, verse 2. And Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, sorry, and Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she's my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah, because he thinks she's just his sister, because he likes her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, listen, behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you've taken, for she is another man's wife. Now, Abimelech had not approached her, thank the Lord. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent, an innocent people? I'm an innocent man out here. Did he not himself say to me, she's my sister, and she herself said, he's my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this or not done this, as the case may be. Verse 6, then God said to him in a dream, yes. I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not not let you touch her. You know what that is? That's grace. Verse 7, now then, return the man's wife, yeah? For (laughs) For he's a prophet. So that he will pray for you and you shall live like, wow, there's some serious business. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die. And all who are yours. F- food. I'm talking about forgiveness. I'm talking about force field. These are the things that the Lord Jesus is encouraging us. Romans 6 about this force field business says that sin no longer has dominion over the Christian. But don't get it twisted. See, how many of you know that sin is deceitful and it's deceptive and so is the devil? We need God's help. We need God's grace. We need God's wisdom. I heard someone say, and I repeat it all the time because I think it's, it's worth repeating. I know that I'm not, as, I'm not as godly as David. I know that I'm not as wise as Solomon And I know that I'm not as hench and as strong as Solomon. And how many of you know all three of those men fell into sexual temptation, into sexual sin? Lord, see Jesus says we ought to ask for a a powerful spiritual force field that will prevent entry to danger. 
Lord, lead me, lead us not into temptation. And it's not just sexual temptation. Protect me from circumstances that cause me to arrive at the destination of disaster. See, this is nothing other than a recognition of personal weakness in the need for God's help. Amen. And it's an encouragement to pray. I mean, unless you're, I don't know, unless you're Jesus out here, that's like, and he had to fight temptation. How much more you and me? Is there anyone in here that, that doesn't see that as a need? I mean, it's not even like, should I pray? Hmm, well, wow. It's like when you understand this, it's like, how could I do anything but go to the Lord with these issues? I know I need that force field round about me. This is an encouragement to pray. Three great points of inspiration. Food, we need it, physically speaking. Forgiveness, spiritually speaking. And it's force field, spiritually and personally speaking. Who needs these things? I've got both hands up. Now, that's a, brief, that's a brief outline with regards to the instructions to pray. How about the motivation now to do so? How many of you know instructions and motivation are two different things? You might have, you might have a, a chest of drawers that you bought in Ikea, and it comes with instructions. But try, try looking in the box for motivation. Well, the Lord gives two illustrations that will motivate his disciples to pray. And the first illustration, it's an, illust- it's, it's, it's an unusual illustration. This is where Luke gets to what I talked about initially. Another, one of his special, one of his specialities, another negative example to teach a positive lesson. Verse 5. <sighs> I was, going to say, I was going to say I need to get down to the gym. I actually have started going down to the gym. Not that you'd be able to, t- <laughs> not that you'd be able to tell. <clears throat> Verse 5, and he said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Back to my Jamaica illustration. My granddad. This guy obviously is in a place where he's in need, right? And he needs food. In Jamaica, like my granddad, he would always, always cook more than enough. You, obviously, you can tell that my granddad liked food, right? He would always cook more than enough because, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you, you, always food in the pot because you just never know. You just don't know who might turn. It's just in case, isn't it? Well, that's quite normal. Well, I suspect that's, that's quite normal. It's not abnormal. You're not like, huh, really? What more food than he needs, just in case? Of course not. I'm not, now, not everybody does that, but... I'm having jokes up here with myself, sorry. <laughs> it's quite normal that is to be hospitable and to be, sh- and to be sharing and caring in that sense. Amen? If someone didn't, then we'd say that we'd probably possibly say they're bad mind. Not that if they don't have enough food and an extra pot on a, on, a, on a. If you went to your friend 
and you said, brother, I need some help. It's not even hot food. This is stuff in the larder, right, or in the pantry, right? It would be strange if a friend went to a friend and he wasn't trying to help. I'm saying that's bad mind. And that's the point. A real friend will respond positively, won't they? But look at the twist in verse 7. And he will answer. This is the friend of the friend in need. The friend in the house will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are in bed. I can't get up and give you nothing. Go away. Get out of here, man. It's time of night. Now, the point is that's a strange response, right? That's not what you would expect Not from a friend. And that's the point. No friend would act in this fashion. Everyone listening would say, now everyone listening to Jesus telling this at that time, 2,000 years ago, in its context, everyone listening would say, that's strange. Like culturally speaking, that's actually not acceptable. Now imagine me coming to your house outside shouting to get your attention. Barling out your name outside, taking stones and hitting the... Yo! Right? Now, I don't know where you live. You might be like, yeah, whatever. But let's say you live in Dulwich. (laughs) People are looking at me like, I say, old chap. Like, (laughs) I was like, tally-ho. We wouldn't use that kind of language, but you know what I'm saying. But you know, Pastor P lives in Dulwich. (laughs) Imagine me coming to Pastor P's house, yeah? And shouting at him through the letterbox. Oh my gosh. I mean, his neighbors, standard, standard, would call the police. (laughs) They'd call the police if I did it at 1 p.m., let alone if I did it at 1 a.m. Barling out his, his name. See, in our culture... In our culture, the shame and the embarrassment is noise pollution. It's like, who on earth is making that? Not that racket, right? That's, our, that's, that's, that's our, in our culture. We don't care why. I don't care why. Man could be at the dead in. Who, who, no one cares. Like, it's, you're making noise. Can't call up the council. See? And if you like, this is a kind of reverse psychology, if you like. See, God is nothing like this grouchy neighbor, a lie? He's nothing like this. And, that, and we know that, don't we? Oh, don't we? Oh, but do we? Look at verse 8. I tell you, though he will not get up, and give him anything because he's his friend. I don't know what kind of friend this is, right? Although he should and would, under normal circumstances, culturally speaking, yet because of his impudence, he, because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Impudence. I think the King James renders it importunity, like them words that, you know, I mean, we use often in our modern vocabulary, right? I spell it. 
Now, now, now the big question is, isn't so much what this word means, I'll come to that in a minute, but who is he speaking about? Which one of the friends, you know what I'm saying, is, is he talking about? Because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, consulting those who understand Greek much better than me, because you know the New Testament was originally written in Greek, not in English or King, or King James. See, the, 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 the kind of question is, who is this speaking about? Is it of the friend asking? And you think, yeah, that makes sense. He's impudent. He's impertinent. He's brazen. He's shameless this time of night. If you like, it's rudeness. It's a display of disrespect by not complying with the social norms or the etiquette of culture. I mean, he's broken all essential boundaries of normally accepted behavior. And he's persistent with it. <laughs> is it speaking about him who's, who's come? Or is it, is it the friend who's responding? See? How is he possibly impudent? Well, the word can, can also mean shame, shamelessness, like the first guy who comes shameless, don't care. Or it can also mean avoidance of shame. Avoidance of, like, I don't want to get shamed. I don't want to get embarrassed. So the friend, so the the friend, you know, the friend in the story tucked up in bed, he doesn't want to come out of his house. Standard. I mean, who don't, who don't know what that feels like? We'd be, I know I'd be lying if there's times people knock my door, if times when people call, right, ring my phone. I mean, there's probably times where you ring my phone, you can't get through. I mean, it's not because, don't take it personally. You know what I mean? But it's like, I just, I just think that a mobile phone is, it's my, it's my prerogative, isn't it? And um, I wish I could say that's the only reason I don't, don't answer my phone. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not, that, I'm not that well put together. It's actually because often I don't switch my phone and I don't even hear it ringing. But this if someone calls you and it's an emergency, of course you're going to respond, especially if they're a friend. But this guy's not trying to help. So this friend, friend or, friend or no friend, he's not trying to help. But because of the potential embarrassment, and this is the embarrassment, it's embarrassment from the other villagers. Why? Bro, how could you do a thing like that? My man come around your house and asks you, look how much food you got in your house. I swear I see you go to Sainsbury's yesterday. It's coming like, I mean, even if you open the door and say, bruv, man's shouting, he don't even open the door. But you see, the, the embarrassment that he now wants to avoid, ain't his friend, he don't care. But what it is, is he doesn't want the village now to hear it and say, bruv, I hear that the other day, and everyone's, yeah, I hear that the other day, yo, I hear that the other day. He can't take that kind of embarrassment. He wants to avoid that potential embarrassment. Therefore, (laughs) he gives the guy what he wants. Not because fundamentally he's his friend. Possibly. Ain't ain't no kind of friend. Have you got friends like that? Don't answer that. Now, 
even if not because of the friendship, which would be very unusual, I hope I've painted that picture, maybe overdone it, for the sake of his own name in the community, he will act. So it could be said that God will meet your needs, yes, if you come like the first guy through, through your shameless, your brazen, your persistent prayers, because he loves you and he loves me, but he will also do it, why? For his own name's sake. God ain't gonna get shamed out here. Psalm 37, verse 25 says, I've been young, says the writer. I think it might be David. I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. How much, how much more true would this be of God towards his children? See, God's great reputation is at stake. Remember Numbers 20 when Moses, Moses misrepresented the Lord? The Lord ain't trying to get misrepresented out here. In Numbers 20 when, when he struck the rock and it's like God, like the people, and you know what? The people were really off key. They were complaining and murmuring, murmuring against Moses, murmuring against, against God. And even then, God still wanted, they wasn't even asking. They was murmuring about the fact that they weren't getting. And God still desired to provide them with the water that they desired. But Moses come out screwing, in it. Moses come out swinging, like, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised, this, that, and whatnot, you people, mashallah, struck the rock, not once, but twice. He's supposed to speak to the rock. He, he struck the rock, not once, but twice. And God is like, yo, Moses, come here. You didn't do what I told you to do. And you know what you did do in, in, in what you didn't do? You misrepresented me to the people. Now you're not going into the promised land. It's calm. God probably never even raised his voice. I don't know. No. Read it for yourself. I'm taking it for, I don't know. But I don't think God was happy. I'm saying, you know, God isn't going to, Warren Wisby says, speaking of God, he says, the way God takes care of his children is a witness to the world that he can be trusted. That should be an encouragement to us. You know, God's not always wanted to bang us over the head. And I mean, he will. <laughs> We just saw it. He did it with back Moses in his head, and it punched Moses in his face. I'm like, but then Wesby then quotes a guy called Phillips Brooks, and it's Phillips with an S. Listen to this. I thought this was beautiful. He says, "Prayer isn't overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of His highest willingness. Persistence in prayer is not an attempt to change God's mind." I mean, how's that going to be when he himself, when Jesus says, thy will be done? It's not about trying. But to get ourselves in the place where he, where, where he can trust us with the answer. So that, so that right there, that helps us to understand that we can come and we can pray. God won't always say yes. But we know that he's going to answer and we know by his character, which we'll see momentarily. We're not really going to have time to, to do anything but kind of skirt over it briefly to make the point. See, 
did you know, in this portion of Luke here, Luke, <clears throat> Jesus, because Luke's quoting Jesus, Jesus is constantly correcting people's misunderstandings. Const- I'll give you examples. In, in the chapter before, in chapter 10, Jesus' disciples, they cast out demons and they come back, Lord, what? It's like, wow, the demons are even subject to us in your name. Hey! And Jesus said, all right, calm down. That's heavy. And he, he, didn't, he didn't pour water and like, like psh, he didn't. But he was like, all right, fellas, cool, cool. But listen, listen, listen to me. Come here, come here, come here. Listen, that's heavy. But what's more heavy is the fact that your names are written in heaven. And he corrected their misunderstanding. Another, I'm talking, this is a chapter beforehand. Listen, it says, there's someone come up to Jesus. Jesus, by the way, who, who is my, who's my neighbor? Kind of testing him, if you like. Who's my neighbor, Lord? And in his mind, he's thinking, you're not the scribes, the Levites. These guys are the, when it comes to representing God, when it comes to being good, these guys have got it on smash. And Jesus tells a story about about a, a, a Levite and a priest who walk past a man who's bleeding and dying. And the only guy that helps out is a Samaritan. And they hated, the people he was telling the story to, hated, Samaritan, hated Samaritans. And Jesus said, in the, in the parable, in the story, who was good? And they're like, oh, yeah, the Samaritan. Jesus challenging their twisted perspectives. Martha, directly before this, Martha she thought that her serving Jesus was the greatest pursuit. And Jesus corrects her misunderstanding and he says, right at this point, actually, serving me, uh-uh, listening to me is the most important thing. And maybe that's one of the things that the Lord's going to say to us during our time of praying and fasting. We want to do this, we want to do that, we want to go here, we want to do that. The important thing right now for you to do is just sit down not like Martha, rustling pots and pans and evangelism. No, just sit down and listen. I don't know. Maybe the Lord is going to correct our misunderstandings. In the next chapter, in chapter 12, Jesus, they say, they suggest that Jesus is demonically empowered. Right? It's like, yeah, 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 I know he's casting out demons, but, but you know, it's, 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 it's the power of the devil that's giving him the, the ability to do that. And Jesus corrects their misunderstanding. And he says, no, it's by the Spirit of God, actually. Someone just barks out, look, Jesus, boy, your mom, she's so blessed. I mean, she, said, she actually says something that in, maybe in that culture it could work, but if, if she said it in this culture, it wouldn't work. If you read your Bible, you know what I'm talking about. She's like, Jesus, your mom's blessed. And Jesus is like, well, I hear you, but perhaps, no. More blessed are those who do the will of the Father. And then one more, just to make my point absolutely crystal clear. They say to Jesus, show us a sign. And Jesus says, you wicked and you, you look seeking a sign. He says, you're seeking for a sign, but yet you can't see me. I mean, what bigger sign could you need? And he says, right, the only sign you're going to get is a sign of Jonah. And if you're blind and you can't see, when I die and I resurrect after three days, then maybe you might see blind-like. Jesus correcting their misunderstandings. At least seven times, just in these chapters around our text, 
Could we also be caught in a place where we are found guilty of misunderstanding? So, motivation, first of all, is because God is the ultimate friend. We saw that in the parable about the friend. But now we're also going to see that God is the ultimate father as we get ready to close. God is also the ultimate father. Second motivation, look at verse 9 through to 30. And this is the second illustration that Jesus gives. And it's, come to your heavenly friend, actually your heavenly father. Going back to the instruction in the prayer. And it's a picture of approaching a house or a palace, if you like. And he says, ask, seek, knock. The friend in the previous illustration only asked but still received. What I did is ask. Therefore, let's be motivated to come with our petition. Verse 9, and I tell you, Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you for everyone. Everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you if his son asks for a fish will instead of a fish give him a serpent or if he asks for an egg will give him a scorpion come on now notice the reference again to the obvious come on now who's going to do a thing like that verse 4 and if you then who are evil and let's face it we're far from perfect parents right If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, and we would, and we do, Christmas, birthday parties. If you then, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Wow. Not only is God prepared to give his children good gifts, but he's prepared to give the ultimate gift, which is himself. God is prepared to give his children much more than they could imagine. Ephesians 3.20, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above that which we can ask or even dare to think. Food, forgiveness, and a force field. But God is prepared to give more than that. He's prepared to give himself. What more could we possibly need to be encouraged and motivated to pray. Not only do we have the Father, not only do we have the Holy Spirit, but we also get Jesus, the one who makes it possible for us to call God our Father. His death on the cross purchased our redemption. We've been brought out of slavery into a new home and family. I mean, we were like Oliver Twist, yo. Living a life of spiritual poverty. And God adopted us into his family. And Jesus is the one that makes it possible. John chapter 1 verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And this speaks about the new birth, a new start. 
And it comes about by putting faith and trust in Jesus. And it all starts with us repenting of our sins, our transgressions. Shall we do that? Hopefully, we're going to pray. And it's not just, oh, yeah, all right, then let's pray. All right, Robert, how long is the prayer going to be? I know you normally take long. And the band come up and they sing a long song and then you pray again. Can I invite the band to come and join me? There's me reading your mind, you know. We've been talking about the gifts of the Spirit. <laughs> I don't think that was. I don't think that was. Who knows? I don't know. I know we definitely need the Lord to speak to us by His Spirit. <sighs> Let's pray. Father, thank you. As the band come, even as they come, I pray that you'd help them just to be thinking and considering the things that we just talked about. Father, thank you that this is good This is wholesome. This is helpful. And it's such because it's your word. And it nourishes us. It feeds us, Lord. You've provided food for us this afternoon. Maybe I speak for myself. You provide food, Lord, for me. And I didn't even ask for it. I come rolling in here late like... And, he, and even as I've been serving it, even as I've been, I can't lie, Lord, even as I've been in the kitchen spiritually preparing this, Lord, you've been, I've been picking bits and pieces here and just been fed and nourished by this, Lord. And, but, Lord, <clears throat> as much as I'm encouraged and motivated to come to you and even now speak to you, Lord, I realize that even the opportunity to do so is because of your goodness. And I need to say thank you. And I need, I need to say thank you. I need to say thank you, Father, for, for Jesus. I didn't ask for him. Yet he who knew no sin was made sin for us, for me, in order that I might be made the righteousness of God in him. And there's no friend, not even spouse or mother or father that is going to be willing to lay down their life for me. But Father, you did that through the Lord Jesus. He laid down his life willingly in order that my sins might be forgiven, in order that our sins might be forgiven. And how ungrateful that would be of me if I didn't take a minute to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you that because of Jesus, we can come to you and call you Father because you've made us your children not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to your mercy you saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost that's how we became your children and I'd like to say thank you for that forgive us Lord even as your children we flop forgive us of our sins cleanse us from all unrighteousness and motivate us, Lord God, to talk more to you about these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. To find out more about us, Visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter 
at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.